as me. So we kind of landed there, and the missionary we were coming to meet with, he received us. And as I look back at it now, I, I think he didn't really know what to do with us because we had no idea what we were doing. We didn't know any Chinese or anything like that, but he, he took us and he said, you, you study some Chinese in the morning, I'll set up a teacher for you, and there's a college campus down the street. Why don't you go and see if you can meet someone who speaks English? And so that first Friday, we're in China. I remember walking through the south gate of the university, and there's this huge sports building over here and then kind of the huge open square in the middle of the campus. And in the middle of this open square, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of college students milling about in this activity. And so I kind of didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if anybody in China could speak English. So I walked over, and I tapped a dude in the shoulder, and I just said, hey, what's going on here? I, I not yet learned the very important missionary principle that if the people don't speak your language, it doesn't matter how slow you say it. <laughs> and the guy turned around and looked at me and goes, oh, this is an English corner. This is where we get together to practice our English. I said, perfect. And you can imagine, me and Matt, we're like native English speakers. And so immediately we walk into this, this circle. And there's like 10 or 20 students gather around each of us, peppering us with all kinds of questions about our lives and about America. I remember one of them asked us, is your life like the TV show Friends? <laughs> Not exactly. Like maybe Ross a little bit. but. <laughs> and, uh, and as these questions are going on, one guy looks me in the eye and he says, hey, are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus? And just there in this college camps, these 15 students gather around me, I just began to really simply share my story of how Jesus had changed me. And I will never forget until the day I die, because as I did, it was like you could literally see light up in the eyes of seven or eight people around this circle, this kind of a spiritual hunger that just lit up in their eyes. It, it was the look of someone who had never heard about Jesus before. And as I was talking about it, you could tell they were feeling, I need this. And so after that meeting, we just kind of wrote down their names and phone numbers. And Matt had a similar experience in his little semicircle. And over the weeks that fall, we just started giving those people phone calls and saying, hey, Gary, you, you want to have play basketball together? Hey, Ren, you want to grab lunch? And it blew my mind. Because as we met with these people and began to develop friendship with them, person after person gave their lives to Christ. I'd never seen anything like it before in my life. And, I, and as that year went on, we saw virtually every single person that we developed a close relationship with choose to follow Jesus. And a church got started on that campus that's grown now as a church of 250 people right next to that campus today. And it was like this amazing miracle. And I walked away from this year being like, I'm a nobody. How could God possibly have used me to help so many of his lost kids come back home? And out of that experience of that year and the incredible openness we saw among young people in China, we started a ministry called Campus Target. And we came back after that year saying, God's doing amazing things in China. Come back with us. He'll use you too. And I have no idea what people were thinking because the next year, 14 young people went with us back to China. And God used them in exactly the same ways. And other churches got started and amazing things were happening through their lives. And I'm here today and I've been waiting to come to this church for four years. Because four years ago, right as I was leaving to go back to China again, Pastor Fred and the City Life Church decided they wanted to start investing in us and praying for what God was doing in China. And for four years, you guys of a church have been faithfully investing in what's happening in China. You've been praying into what's happening in China. Stephanie and Al are sending emails to us, encouraging us along the way. And you guys have been doing that the whole way. And right now, you literally have a spiritual inheritance on the other side of the planet. There's going to be a day that happens when you show up in heaven someday. 
you're going to be worshiping Jesus, and there's going to be a Chinese dude who's standing next to you, and he's going to be there because of the decisions you made and the prayers you prayed. And so you have an inheritance over there right now. And so I've been waiting four years to just say thank you. Thank you for investing in China. Thank you for pouring yourself out. And I want to give a chance for my wife, Mikhail, to come up and greet you guys too and just share a little bit what's in her heart. Hello. So good to be here tonight. We're just, just what Toby said. I'm so grateful that we get to be here and meet you and just get to look you in the eye and say thank you so much for standing with us. And just the, there's really something special when you're over on the other side of the world to get those responses to different prayer requests you've sent out knowing that we've got a team behind us praying into those needs. And there's just such a, a heightened sense of the prayers making a difference as we're over there because it's a, an atheistic um, uh, country and the spiritual sources are just not, it's not the same as here, but we really feel that support and we just thank you for your prayers and your commitment to investing in what God's doing over there. And we're just really grateful to get to be here to say thank you. So thank you guys. <laughs> We got four little kiddos too, Maya, Eva, Jordan, and Gabriel that you guys are loving on in kids' church right now. Thanks for that as well. You know, one of the big things, God did so much in my life during that first year in China, but really the biggest thing that he did was I felt like he showed me just how extravagant his love is for every one of his lost kids that doesn't know him yet. One of the guys we met in that very first English corner was named Ren. And we called him up after it and said, hey, Ren, you want to grab lunch? And a couple weeks later, we had lunch together, and we were just sharing with him about how Jesus had changed our lives, and he seemed really interested, and we were really excited because we thought he might choose to follow Jesus. And as it got close to the end of the conversation, he, he kind of looked up and said, hey, by the way, I'm a member of the Communist Party. I didn't really know what that meant, but that didn't seem like a good thing. I know that the communists are not really excited about believing in Jesus and these kinds of things. I'm like, Was that some kind of a threat or something like that? And so I didn't really know how to interpret it. And so Matt and I kind of aborted the conversation, and we talked afterwards, and we said, let's give Ren a couple weeks and, and see what God does. I, we don't really understand what's happening in this situation. And so a couple weeks later, we were walking back on that campus again, and as we're walking, we see Ren off in the distance. It was, it was the day after Christmas, I remember. And, and, and he said, hey, Toby, hey, Ren, how you doing? He said, guess what? We said, what? He said, I became a Christian. I said, you, you became a what? I haven't even told you how to do that yet. He said, I became a Christian. I, well, what happened? He said, let me tell you the story. And he started telling us this really serious story. He was involved uh, with a girl on the campus, and so he went into the health clinic to have some, he some tests done, and they came back for him HIV positive. And so he gets these test results, and he just feels like his life is over. At that time in China, there was a lot of stigma around HIV, too. He might get kicked out of school, and he, he just felt like, oh, geez, my, I, I, it's done. So he just told me he's kind of just walking numbly around campus, not really even knowing what to do. So finally, it just hits him at another level, and he starts to cry. And as he's crying, he just kind of runs up the stairs to his third-story dorm room, and he just kind of kneels next to his bed and is just, 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 just bawling. As he's crying, he looks up, and through his tears on his roommate's bookshelf, he sees a Chinese Bible sitting there. Now, his friend wasn't a Christian. He was actually a religion major. But he had a Chinese Bible sitting up there. And he remembered what we had told him about Jesus. So he walked over and he, he took the Bible off the shelf. And he never read the Bible before, didn't know where to look or anything. But he just kind of flipped it open. And as he did and looked down, the words jumping off the page to him 
or I will heal you. Slam that Bible shut. <laughs> that was freaking him out a little bit. But he told me as we're sitting there on campus, he told me I opened the Bible a second time and I looked. And the words I saw were, you will be healed. He tells me he opens the Bible a third time randomly and it's some kind of verse about healing. And so he doesn't know how to pray or anything, so he just starts making promises to God. He says, God, if you will heal me, I'm going to follow you for my whole life. He said, I'm going to tell my family and friends about you. He said, I'm going to change my birthday to today. We didn't talk to him about being born again. He just figured that out on his own. He said, I changed my birthday to today. And he said, he had a scholarship. He said, I'm going to give my scholarship away to someone who needs it more than I do. And so as he kind of makes those promises, the guy just kind of feels God's peace wash over him, and he just falls asleep in his bed. The next morning, he goes back to the clinic for all the confirming tests and his diagnosis, and it comes back totally clean. He's totally healed. And so he's talking on campus now, super excited, saying, so Toby, I'm going to follow Jesus for my whole life, and I'm going to tell my family and friends about him. He, he said, I got a new birthday, and he, I just have one question. Do I have to give my scholarship away? <laughs> I said, Ryan, we'll let you figure that out with God. And it, it was like that, that whole year I just saw God do thing after thing like that where he just showed me there was no length he wouldn't go to to help bring one of his lost kids back home. I mean, think of that for a second. He, God had to take the terrible disease that had come into his body and use that situation for good. And then he had to bring him to his dorm room at just the right moment. And he had to have before sent two goofy guys over from America to have talked to him about Jesus. And then God has to come down from heaven and literally break the laws of probability. So he opens his Bible three times, and it's a verse about healing. And then God has to come down from heaven, touch his body, and heal him. All so that he can bring Ren back home. So that Ren can come back into relationship with him and be a part of his family. Your God loves every person in this world. There is no one that he's not seeking after. And there is no distance he won't go or anything he won't do to bring his lost kids back home. And man, as I walked through that year, I just saw over and over and over again. And I believe looking at this church right now, a day is coming where you guys are going to send some young adults into China. And there's going to be people that are in this room right now that will offer up a semester of their life. or will offer up a year of their life. And as you guys put yourself out there, you are going to be telling these same kinds of stories. To Take that availability and do these same kinds of miracles that you could testify of the amazing things he's doing through you. And so honestly, even as I preach today, there's going to be several of you in this room, that something's going to start stirring up inside you saying, wow, maybe God would use me like that. And if that's you, just come talk to me afterwards. I'll do anything to help send you out if you want to do something for China. And so allow that thing to stir up. But I want to tell you a secret this morning. You don't have to go to China to be used by God. God wants to use every single person in this room. Not just the leaders of this church, but every single person of this church to go out and help bring his lost kids back home. And to understand why he wants to do that, you have to understand the heart of your Father God. And so, how many of us here have a friend or a neighbor or a family member who doesn't know Jesus yet? All of us, right? God wants everyone, everyone of those of his lost kids to come back home. You don't have to take my word for it. Let's see what Jesus himself says about how God feels. We'll open up to Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 11 to 14. Matthew's, you know, the first book of the New Testament, in the 18th chapter. 
I'm going to read verses 11 to 14. Some of you might see a little weird thing if you open to it in your Bible that verse 11 in some versions is down in the margins instead of up in the text. That's because this one verse, they don't know exactly where Jesus said it, and so it's a couple places in the Bible. We know he did say it. It's listed multiple times. Let me read 11 to 14. The Son of Man came to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 in the hills to go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Jesus tells us in this passage what his whole purpose was in coming to earth. He came, the Son of Man came, to save that which was lost. Jesus left heaven, left paradise, left the comfort he had at the Father's side, and came down into our broken world for one purpose, that he could save you and me. That he could rescue every person that was lost and separated from him. That was his purpose. That's why he did it. You know, you think about this, this word lost for a second. And it's important to think about it because the reality is, apart from what Jesus did for us, every single one of us is lost. We have been separated from our Father. We have wandered away from home. And we're completely lost in the woods. And we have no way to find our way back home. That's the place we find it. We're in a dark room and we can't find our way out. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, I get that I was lost before and I know that my friends are lost, but is it that big of a deal? You know, I don't know how it is down here in western New York where I grew up. In summertime, as dusk settles, the mosquitoes descend. You guys get mosquitoes down here? Okay, the mosquitoes just descend. And and so sometimes you'll be having a barbecue or hanging out with your family and you'll be doing this and dust will come. The mosquitoes just come down and you're talking with your friend or you're, you're talking with someone that you're with. And as you're talking with them, a mosquito comes down and starts flying around their head. I found that in this moment, there's two kinds of people. The first kind of person is really concerned about this problem. And so they're like, there's a mosquito on your head. And they're swinging and swiping, trying to get it away, all these things. And then there's people like me. I see the mosquito coming for your head, and I think, it's not really that big of a deal. They may or may not bite you. If they bite you, it's just a mosquito bite. They're not going to give you a gunshot wound. You know, this is not the end of the things. If it's a really good conversation, I might not even say anything. And some of us think about the lostness of our friends and family like it's a mosquito issue. That it is just a small thing that's kind of flying around their head. And, you know, if I was a good friend, maybe I would say something to them. You know, maybe I... Ah. Listen, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, our family that do not know Jesus do not have a mosquito problem. They have a black widow crawling right up their arm. And if we think of it as some kind of a small thing, not recognizing the eternal realities of what's at stake in that situation, that they're apart from God, they're on a path to a Christless eternity, and they don't have the hope of God in their lives today, this is a very big deal, and it's very important. We have to understand what lost means. And even if our friends don't know it, they still might be lost. 
I remember one time I'm up from Western New York, and so the Buffalo Bills were our, our football team up there, and I know it's a, it's a curse that I bear. And, uh, but I remember I was maybe 10 years old, and my family took me to a Buffalo Bills game. And we parked a half hour away and kind of trudged up there and got into the stadium, and the game was going on. I'm sure the Buffalo Bills lost that day. And, but it was one of these days where they're doing a promotion, and they're giving away, like, these Buffalo Bills plastic cups to everyone in attendance. And so as the game's winding down and everyone's leaving, I see that many people just left their plastic cups all in their seats. So I thought, I kind of want a collection of Buffalo Bills cups. And so I just started walking down some of the rows and grabbing these cups and collecting them. And as I was doing that, the game ended. And my family started to file out. And it was one of those situations where my dad thought I was with my mom, and my mom thought I was with my dad, but I was actually walking down the road collecting cups. And my family just left and started walking to the car. And so I'm happy-go-lucky grabbing my cups, feeling great about my new collection here. And at the moment that I'm having fun finding my cups, completely not knowing it, I'm already lost. But then a couple minutes later, I looked back to where my family was, and I saw they were gone. So I kind of walked back over there and looked around, and they weren't in the section at all. So I, I walked out the exit into the concourse area there, and I looked around, and thousands and thousands of people are streaming by me both directions. And I can't see my family anywhere. So someone had told me once, if you get lost, you just kind of stay in the same place and wait for someone to find you. So I did that, and I just watched as 80,000 people streamed out of the stadium. My parents didn't seem to be any of them. It got totally empty. I saw the players start driving around in their fancy sport cars that they were leaving the stadium. Meanwhile, my parents had walked a half hour to the car, realized I was not with them, and then my dad had started walking back to get me. And so, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes has gone by. So finally, my dad walks around, runs up, gives me a hug, and I've been found. You know, there were kind of two stages there. There was one stage where I didn't realize I was lost, but I was already lost, right? And then there was a stage where I looked and I realized I was lost, and I knew it. And it's the same with our friends and our families. Some of them already know that they're lost. They know that they need God. They know there's something off in their life. They see that there's some kind of a need. But there's tons of people in our circles, they don't even know that they're lost. But that does not make them any less lost. It doesn't make the black widow any less real. And we must understand the heart of God for those that are lost around us. And he explains it to us. He says, he's talking now to farmers and shepherds. And he says, it's like there's a shepherd who has 100 sheep. And one of them wanders off. Wouldn't he leave the 99 to go and find the one? And you can tell in how he asked it. All the shepherds in attendance are going like, Yep, that's exactly what he would do in that situation. And, and when he found the one, wouldn't he be more excited about the one that was found than the 99 that never wandered off? And you can tell, again, by how he asks it, that all the shepherds are going, that's exactly how he would feel in that situation. Why is a shepherd willing to leave 99 to find one? You see, for a shepherd, the sheep are his treasure. He doesn't have money in a bank somewhere. He doesn't own property, and that's where his resource is. His treasure, what's precious to him, is all in that flock. But it's not just some kind of a financial thing. This shepherd feels tenderness for the sheep. The, the Bible says the shepherd would call every sheep by name. I mean, think about your pet cat or dog for a second. Think, think how tender you feel towards them and how much you love them. And you're gone at work most of the day. This shepherd is with these sheep all the time. He's with them day and night. He's probably not even home with his family most of the time. This is like not just his pets, but it's like the, the, the people he talks to all day long, his friends. These are his precious ones. I mean, 
In, in, the, in Luke, when it tells the story, it says that when the, the shepherd finds the sheep, it says he picks them up and puts them over his shoulders and carries them back home. Have you ever thought about that before? That's putting the, the yucky part of the sheep all up on your neck. I wouldn't do that for just anybody. And do you know how much a sheep weighs? A small breed is 150 pounds. A big breed is 250 pounds, bigger than me. And it says he tenderly takes that gross part of that sheep, puts them all up on his neck, and is happy to carry this 200-pound sheep all the way back home again. He loves the sheep. He feels tender towards it. But also, the shepherd sees the danger to the sheep. You know, I used to read this passage and just, just think, the sheep is kind of on like some little joy, joy journey over here and this is off, but that's not really what's going on. What happens in these hilly areas of Palestine is the sheep will wander off from the rest of the flock, get tired, and lay down on an incline. And once he lays on the incline, just with some kind of little twist or move of his legs at all, he'll start to roll from his side onto his back. And the way God made sheep is when they roll onto their back, they get stuck there like a turtle. And so the sheep will end up on the side of the hill with its four little legs just going up like this, and it can't do anything at all. It's totally stuck there, and it can't right itself. There's a name for it. It's called a cast sheep. You can look it up online if you want to. And the sheep just gets in the situation totally cast, and it can't do anything. And so now it's helpless to any predator, but it's actually worse than that. Because the way the sheep is made in the inside, in that position, the gases in its stomach start to swell. And first, it'll cut off the blood to its legs so it can't walk anymore. And soon, on a hot day, within just two or three hours, it'll cut off its air supply and the sheep will die. And so when the shepherd is seeing one of my sheep has wandered off my flock, it's not, yeah, he'll probably make his way back later. No, the shepherd's thinking, the sheep is cast. He's thrown himself on his back somewhere. He's helpless, and he can't get back home. And if I can't get out and find him in the next two or three hours, that sheep will die. And God says, Jesus says, that God is just like that shepherd. He feels the same way. Every one of his lost sheep, every one of the people that doesn't know him in this earth, he's searching for them and looking for them, and he feels tenderness for them. They're like his treasure. But he sees the danger for them, too. He realizes they're cast and they're helpless, and they're in danger. And so he's looking, and he's searching, and he's looking, and he's searching, and he just wants to find that sheep and bring it back home. I mean, that's how God felt about every one of us, right? There was a moment in your life where you were separated from him, where you had wandered, and you were far from him, and God searched for you, and he looked for you, and did anything he could to bring you back home because he wanted you. He wanted relationship with you. He wanted you back safe. And there is nothing he won't do there is no mountain he won't climb over, no distance he won't run to bring one of his lost sheep back home. You know, the reality is we're not sheep, we're people, right? And people are more important than sheep. And there's other parts in the scripture where God says that we're actually like his lost sons and daughters until we come home. And I don't know about you guys, but if losing one of your hundred sheep is this big of a deal, what would it be like to have one of your kids that's lost? Just a little bit, I understand that feeling. About a year ago, we were in China, and I took my three oldest kids, Maya, Eva, and little three-year-old Jordan. We went to this, this playground area about a mile from our house that our kids loved to play at, and it was just kind of a, a fun diversion for them, but it was, 
was in the middle of this outdoor shopping mall area. So there's just thousands of people kind of streaming along, walking all the time through that area. So they're playing in the playground. You know, one of the things that happens when you start having more kids is you end up with more kids than eyeballs. And so when it's your turn to watch them, you know, it's like sometimes it's like I've got I am each kids, but then there's a third kid running around. And so in this situation, I'm looking, there's Maya, and there's Eva, and there's Jordan. There's Maya, and there's Eva. And I couldn't see Jordan. So I was sitting down, I kind of just leaned to the side to see if he was behind another kid or the playground, and I couldn't see him. So I got up, and I began to walk around the whole playground area. Jordan? Hey, Jordan, buddy. Jordan? And I looked around, and he's gone. So now I'm starting to freak out a little bit. I'm starting to talk a little louder. Hey, Jordan, Jordan. I'm just calling out to the whole area around there. Jordan, normally he would just come, but he's not coming. So I start going to all the stores that are in this shopping mall around where we are. And I'm going to each one saying, hey, Jordan, 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 Jordan. I check everyone in the area and he's nowhere. Now I'm totally freaked out. And so I grab my two girls. I say, you guys just sit right here. I grab a security guard, tell him. Now I'm just running through the entire outdoor mall area, going to all the stores. Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. Hey, Jordan, have you seen the little boy? Have you seen, have you seen my little son, Jordan? And I searched the whole mall. Now this is not a one-minute experience. This is like a 10-minute experience. My son has gone. And I come back, and I've looked everywhere, and he's gone. And I had to face the disgusting feeling that somebody stole my son. And to describe to you what I felt in that moment, it was literally like a part of me had died. My son Jordan was gone. And so I didn't even know what to do, so I just looked at a couple of those stores that were right around the playground area again, and I looked in, Jordan, and I looked in one restaurant, and someone goes like this and points up. There was a staircase, so I I walked up the staircase, and at the top of the stairs, Jordan was there playing with some other little boy. I ran over, and I grabbed him and gave him a hug. Don't you ever do that again! <laughs> gave him another hug. And when I found him, it was like my heart was restored. My life was made whole again. My son was back home. And that feeling of a part of me that has died is what God feels for every person around us that doesn't know him yet. My sister, my boss, my next door neighbor, the person who sits two desks down from me, my roommate, every single person around us that doesn't know him yet, God feels that kind of loss for them. And just like he felt for you when you came home, when any of those people gets found and comes back into the family. It's, he feels that same, <sighs> he says, I feel more joy. He says it himself. I feel more joy over that one person being found than over the 99 that didn't even leave. There might be some of you in this room that at some point in your past, you wandered away from God. And you have this aching guilt hanging over you because of that, that somehow you're a second-class Christian or somehow you're kind of the rejected child or God doesn't feel excited about you because of that thing in your past. And God wants to tell you today, it's actually the exact opposite. You're wandering away from him, only excited and swelled his love for you. He, he was more excited when you came back home than 99 who never ran away. That's how your father feels about you. That's the heart of a dad. 
And I got to see that so many times over my experience in China. I remember at the very end of that first year, there was this one friend named Gary, who he'd been one of our best friends we'd made that year. We connected so naturally with him. But unlike so many others, he had just never really seemed interested in God. And I remember we were getting ready to go back to America, so it was the last time we were going to see Gary. And I was sitting in the taxi on the way to meet with him, and I remember praying and saying, God, don't you care about Gary too? You've done so many things for so many people. Wouldn't you rescue him too? We get out of the taxi, and we're hanging out with Gary, and we're at this tea shop, and we're drinking tea together. I remember playing a Chinese card game and just, just kind of having fun the last time hanging out with your bro. And as we're in the middle of it, he interrupts. And he says, hey, Toby and Matt, I have a question. How, how can I follow Jesus too? I said, so what, what do you mean? And it was, a, you know, 20 minutes later, he realized it, and they went back and searched all the different stores. But if any of you have ever been to an outdoor market overseas like that, you set something valuable down like that, it's, it's gone. And so they searched everywhere, and it was gone. So that night, Matt comes back to our house, and he's bummed. It's probably his most valuable possession. He's just feeling sad, and... He's praying, talking to the Lord, and he feels the Lord say to him, Matt, I want to give you back your camera. Go look for it one more time. So Matt feels a little sheepish because Gary already helped him look everywhere, but he kind of calls Gary up and says, Gary, this is going to sound weird, but I feel like God told me he's going to help me find the camera, and I need to go look one more time. Would you help me? And Gary said, sorry, dude, it's gone. So Matt called another friend, and then that other friend said, okay, sure. And so they went back, they checked all the stores they'd already checked at, and they went to a store they already asked at, and they asked again. And this time there was an old Chinese grandma sitting on the stoop, and she went, oh. She went into the back, she came out, and she had Matt's bag. She gave him the bag, and he opened it up, and the camera was inside. He turned it on to make sure it was okay, and the, the, the Chinese grandma had been playing with the camera and had taken a video of herself on accident. But, but, but it was good. He still had it, and so he, he was happy. And so he walked away, and he gave Gary a phone call. He said, Gary, I told you God said he was going to help me find the camera, and he just did. And Gary said, that's, that's impossible. That's a miracle. So that night, Gary's talking with his girlfriend. He tells her this story of this amazing thing he'd seen with the camera and how it blew his mind, didn't fit with what he believed with God not being real, and... They kind of talk about, is God real or not? And the next morning, Gary's girlfriend was going in for this super important exam. She was a senior in college and wanted to get into graduate school. And in China, anyone who's going to get into graduate school has to compete in this national exam against millions and tens of millions of other students who are trying to do it. And only the best get the opportunity to do that. So it's a super high-pressure thing. Basically, your, your future determines on this one three-hour test. And so it's the middle of the morning. She's taking this super important test. And as she's taking it, all of a sudden her stomach starts cramping and she starts feeling terrible. And then a couple minutes later, she needs to get to a bathroom now. So she calls the proctor over and they rush and she goes to the bathroom and she gets in the bathroom and has a, we'll call it an explosive moment. <laughs> and so she has her thing and she's, she's just really sick and gross and, and the thing happens. And she, the test is ticking away though, her time. And so she, she, she's hurrying and, and she looks over when she's all done. And there's no toilet paper. So this is like the test determining her life, and she's totally disgusting right now, and there's nothing she can do about it. And so in her moment of desperation, she prays. And she says, God, I don't know if you're real, but Gary told me that you helped his friend Matt when he needed you. <laughs> and so if you're real, I need help right now. And as she's sitting on the toilet, she opens her eyes, and a roll of toilet paper rolls under the stall wall.
And so she's having this divine moment on the toilet while her test is going on. And so she hurries up and does her picture of business, goes in and finishes the test. But then she calls Gary afterwards and she says, Gary, God's real. He said, well, what are you talking about? She said, I prayed and he gave me toilet paper. What? And so she tells him the whole story. Now Gary's with me at the tea shop. And he says, God did the thing with Matt with the camera. God did the thing with the toilet paper for my girlfriend. He's obviously real. He said, you need to tell me, how can I follow Jesus too? And so right there at the table, we share the gospel with him. And at that tea shop, Gary gives his life to Christ, chooses to follow him. The next morning, we baptize him in our bathtub. And then the day after that, we leave to come back from, to America. I mean, it was like this bookend on our year that was so incredible. And I remember being in a taxi going away from that, and I just started crying because I just realized how far God would go just to get Gary. I mean, think of that for a second. Again, he has to send these people from the other side of the earth so that the good news is being planted a little bit. And then... He needs to have Matt lose his camera. And then he needs to place a Chinese grandmother there at just the right time. And then he needs to give somebody diarrhea. And then he needs to reach down from heaven and roll toilet paper under the stall wall. Oh, I? Also, he could have Gary come home. He wanted his kid back home, and there was nothing he wouldn't do to get it. That is how your father feels about every one of his lost sons and daughters. And he could do it so many ways to help bring them back home. But you know what? He chose to do it together with you and me. A couple weeks ago, I was getting ready to prepare to share this, and I was trying to remember the details of that story when we had lost Jordan at the playground. And so I, I called my oldest daughter, Maya, over. We were in her room. We have a little, little lazy boy chair. I sat down, our reading chair, and she came up, and I said, Maya, come here. And she sat in my lap. She sat in my lap, and I looked at her, and I said, Hey, hon, do you remember that time that we lost Jordan? As I looked at her, tears just started to fill up her eyes. I said, what is it, honey? What are you feeling? Well, I just remember I was running all over that mall trying to find Jordan to bring him back home. I said, I remember as I was running, there were tears that were filling up my eyes. You see, my daughter so cared about what I cared about in that moment, that as a little six-year-old, she's running around this outdoor mall in China trying to find her brother to bring him back home. And she's so in touch with my heart as she's doing that, that as a little six-year-old, she's crying. She's crying as she's running and trying to find him. And today, God is here, and he's looking for found sons and daughters who would help bring his lost kids back home. And as the church, that's what he's called us to be. He's called us to be his found sons and daughters, just like my daughter Maya, who want to work with him to bring his lost kids back home. And this is a church that God wants to use to impact Suffolk. And it's not just for those that are sitting here right now. You have people in your circle roommates and family members and co-workers and neighbors that are lost and they have no clue. And God is up in heaven and he's desperately longing for each of those lost kids to come back home. And this morning, this afternoon, this evening, he's looking here and he's saying, are there any of my found sons and daughters that would work with me to help bring my lost kids back home?
And, you know, if you're saying, how do I do that? How can I even start in that process? What I found is there's a really simple starting place, and it's this. To just begin to pray for those in my life that don't know him yet. You know, there's so many amazing things of ways he'll use you down the road. But the starting point is just to pray. I remember just a couple years ago, I was in China, and uh, there's a guy, Jack, who was a young disciple in the church there. He's a college student. And he and I would get together one morning a week, and we would just walk across this campus together. And for half an hour, we would just cry out and pray that God would save his roommates, that God would rescue his roommates and bring them back home. We just did that week after week after week, and it didn't seem like anything was happening for the first month. But then one day, two of his roommates were walking by, and we connected with them, and I met them for the first time, and, and, and they said, hey, we want to know more about God. They just said that to us. I said, I said, have you ever heard the story of what he did for you? And they said, no. I said, do you want to hear it tomorrow? And they said, yeah. So the next, next day, Jack and I, there was a stone table in the middle of their campus outside, and there was little stools around it, and Jack and I sat down, and these two friends, they were Daniel and Nate, sat down. And we just share with them about God's love and what he did for them. And God had already prepared their hearts. And as we shared with them, it just, I could tell they were ready. And at the end, I remember asking them, I said, I said do you want to follow Jesus too? I, I'll never forget it. Nate, he looks me back in the eye and he says, Toby, I've been waiting my whole life for this. A couple weeks later, we're walking on campus again, and another one of Jack's roommates comes up and runs into us. His name was Andy, and he said, hey, hey, you guys want to get lunch? And so we got lunch together, and as we got lunch, we are just talking. I found out that he came from a Christian family, but it had turned his back on God. And as we're just talking, God just begins to work in his life, and he repents right over noodles right there in the middle of a Chinese cafeteria, just saying, God, okay, I need to come back to you. And he gave his life to Christ again. And God just started to work saving Jack's roommates all around him. Why? Because he started to pray. There, there are people in your circle of relationships that have literally waited their whole life for someone to bring good news to them. And as I began to pray, God begins to prepare their heart. And so when I pray, I, I just do two things. I pray for two things. I just ask God for open hearts, that he would open their heart and prepare their heart, that they would be ready to hear and ready to receive. And the second thing I ask for is open doors, that he would give me open doors to somehow talk about him with them in a way that would be natural and would work. I just ask those two things. And as I do, I've just seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle. And the reality is, these stories I'm telling, God wants to do the same kind of stuff for you. He, every single person in this church, God has put a circle of people around you that nobody else can reach. You have people in your life that I will never have any opportunity to reach. I just don't have the relationship. You guys have people in your life that the pastors of this church will never have any opportunity to reach because they wouldn't come into the church by themselves. And God has perfectly and purposely put you in their lives because you are exactly the right person to help bring them home. And so what it takes on our part is a commitment to say, yes, God, a response to say, yes, God, I will be one of those found sons and daughters who helps bring your kids back home. And, and if you're here this morning and God's working your heart and you're saying, yes, I want to be one of those found sons and daughters, it's just a really simple starting point of just saying, okay, that I'm purposing in my heart, I'm committing, I'm going to begin to pray for those people and pray for their salvation. Well, let's just close our eyes and we'll kind of ha have a moment just responding. Lord, th this is a group here that each of us, Lord, has wandered and you brought each of us back home. And we're so grateful for that, God. 
But Lord, I hope in a new way this morning, in a fresh way this morning, we're having just a revelation and a picture of your heart for those that haven't come home yet. Those that you've put in our circle of relationships. And Lord, there's something rising up in our heart right now that says, yes, I do. I want to be one of those found sons and daughters that helps bring your lost kids back home. And I see it. The first step is for me to commit to pray. And so I just want you to hear God speaking to you today. I want you to hear Jesus speaking to you, saying, would you go out and find them with me? Would you share this burden with me? And really specifically, would you begin to pray regularly for those in your circle that don't know me yet? I'm not talking you got to pray every day or you're a failure. I'm not talking you got to pray for an hour. But just have something regular in your life where you're trying to pray for those that don't know him yet. And as Jesus is asking you that through the scripture and even in this moment right now, I want to challenge you. Just answer him. Either say, sorry, God, I'm not ready yet. I know this is really important to you. I know this is what you came to earth for, but... I'm just not there yet. Or say, yeah. I feel scared. I feel inadequate. I don't know what to do. But God, if I could help you bring your lost kids home, I want to do that together with you. And if that's you this morning, and something's in your heart, where you're you're purposing in your heart, just, just in front of me and before the Lord, just kind of raise your hand to saying, yes, I'm committing. I'm going to start praying regularly for those around me that don't know him yet. I want, to, I want to be connected to his heart. I want to be about the thing that is most important to him. And that, that, that step of praying is an incredible first step. And what I found a beautiful second step is, is just to invite them to come to church. Those same people you're praying for, as God gives you open doors, just invite them to come. Say, hey, I have this awesome church. It meets on Saturday night. It works at a perfect time. It's totally convenient. Would you want to come with me sometime? It's called City Life. And bring them with you. And that will be the step they make towards coming back home. So even, even think about it over this next week. Who, who are they? Let's do this. I want you to imagine the person who's in your life right now, who's close enough, who's closest to you, but doesn't know Jesus yet. Just picture their face in your mind. It might be a a family member who lives nearby. It might be your roommate. It might be just a good friend or a neighbor or a classmate or workmate. Just get one person. Who's the one person closest to you that's around this area that doesn't know Jesus yet? Picture their face. let's just take a little moment right now and just pray for that person right now. Just come out to yourself at the same time while we'll do it. Lord, I just ask that you would open their heart, Lord. That you would open their heart and bring them to an awareness of their need for you. Bring them to an awareness of their sin. Lord, anything that's hard in them, we just ask that you would soften them so they would be prepared when they hear good news to receive it, God. Open their hearts. Lord, we just ask that you would open a door to God. That, that, that you would somehow give me and my weakness and my lack of knowledge the opportunity to speak something in their life that would have some kind of opening effect for them, Lord. That I'd be able to share something that would help them take a step closer to you, Lord. Give me the, the courage and the, the boldness to even invite them to come to church with me, God. 
Give me the boldness I need, God, to go out and search with you, to help bring this one of your lost sons and daughters back home. Lord, we just entrust each of these people to you, Lord. I just ask in the days ahead you would use this church in an incredible way to help bring lost sons and daughters back home, Lord. I ask that there would just be a flood of new people that comes into this church, Lord. Friends and coworkers and neighbors and family members of people that are sitting here right now. And every one of us would step into our destiny. Everyone with us would step into the purpose you have, Lord, for us to partner with you to bring your lost kids back home, Lord. That's not something reserved for missionaries. It's not something reserved for pastors. It's something you're inviting every one of your found sons and daughters into. And Lord, we want to step into our destiny and step into the thing that is so important to your heart. I'm so excited to see what you do through City Life, Lord. You have incredible things planned for this church, not just in Suffolk, Lord, but in the whole Hampton Roads region, God. Bring your lost kids back home. In Jesus' name we pray. Oh
no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. It's because of 